Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What is Money show. I am sitting down today with Dea Razkitha, who is the founder of Kalos Bitcoin and Indonesia Bitcoin community. And today is a special episode. Um, so Dea and I met actually when I was in Indonesia, um, I guess about a year ago. Yeah. And I appeared on your podcast. We did a session together. And then recently we had this idea, um, it was actually suggested by Sailor, that we do a what is money evaluation per country. So we're going to start looking like the actual state of money, the problems with money, et cetera, within each country. And um, thought it would be a great idea to have you on as our first guest and look at Indonesia. So Dea, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Robert. Happy to talk to you again. It's been a while, and yeah, like uh, it's been it's 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 actually quite an honor to to share Indonesia story because I think not many people knows about Indonesia, especially Indonesia money history. Even even me, when I'm doing this whole research, I found like so many fascinating stories. So yeah, happy to share. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I've found that when you start looking at world history and just follow the money, right? You see yeah. a lot of uh, interesting things, let's say. So you've done a lot of work preparing for this, which I'm really grateful for. We're going to get into all of that. But I guess to start off, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about Kalos Bitcoin and the Indonesia Bitcoin community and the work you guys are doing over there. Sure. Um yeah, so uh, Class Bitcoin is actually just a bunch of resource uh, for Indonesian to learn about Bitcoin because the biggest problem for adoption, I think, around the world is language barrier. Um, a lot of Indonesian doesn't really speak. Uh, I mean, they, they, they speak English, but it's not that good. And there's a lot of great content out there um, in English. So we try to translate that and then make it more um, Indonesia centric. Mm -hmm. And also Indonesia Bitcoin community is uh, some kind of a association or a community that we just recently established because we see that there is a need of, uh, yeah, some kind of a community around uh, Bitcoin because Indonesia is quite large uh, country. And then, uh, yeah, they need to have uh, someone that they can talk to about Bitcoin. So we run meetups. Uh, we we also do like a weekly, let's say, on-chain analysis or like analysis of the Bitcoin. What is the news? And yeah, just uh, we also run the, the first Bitcoin conference where you were also one of the speaker and mm. uh, it was sold out with 1000 people attending it. So, yeah. We're going to do more of it uh, in the upcoming years. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, thank you for doing that. And um, yeah, it's important to teach people about this because it's just a blind spot for most people. You know, we, you know, we use and think through money all the time, but we very rarely stop to think about money itself. So mm -hmm. thank you for what you're doing. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited to get into this. So I know you mentioned offline, you've been reading Redalio's new book, and you're sort of thinking about the world through that lens of the changing world order. And um, I imagine today we're going to talk a bit about how Indonesia fits into the current changing world order. So 
where should we start this journey today? <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, uh, maybe we can start from 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 Ray Dalio's framework of the big cycle, um, <clears throat> because uh, as we know right now, uh, in the past, I don't know, since uh, the 16th centuries up until now, uh, the the world uh, order has been shifted. You know, start from the Dutch world order. I mean, the Dutch as the world reserve currency and then the British as the world reserve currency. And currently right now we are um, in the U.S. dollars reserve currency. Right. And all of this uh, cycle is actually. Uh, yeah, like there is like some kind of an arc where uh, Ray Dalio pointed out in their big cycle. So maybe first we can talk about the, the arc itself. Um, so according to Ray Dalio, uh, there is. Uh, um, like each of the empire going through this uh, journey, which is the ascending, they're going to the peak and then decline. Mm. So when they are like ascending, this is when they start establishing like a new world order. And then there's like a, uh, a period of peace and prosperity. Uh, yeah. And, and then uh, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, basically focusing on the high productivity, like there's a new technology um, or even they become like one of the biggest financial center and a strong currency as well. Mm. This is where most of all of this world uh, empire uh, started. Like they, they start with like uh, this ascending. And then once they become uh, productive and they generate a lot of income, and when they have more earning, this is when they start uh, become less competitive because they become more expensive. Uh, this is when they reach the, the peak where people are working less and then they create less, uh, uh, you know, they, they pro produce less, uh, so less productivity. And by what happened is because they become the world reserve currency, they have the privilege that they can borrow more money. Um, and this is can be like a double-edged sword when they borrow more money uh, means that uh, they can also get into more debt. Mm -hmm. And when the debt is become uh, large, um, uh, one side, there's like a larger inequality, large wealth gap, uh, and then the, the empire become too expensive to support. And then it's just gonna uh, going to a decline where this is start happening when empire needs to pay their debt and it's it's a it's a difficult decision right like mm -hmm. when 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 the debt needs to be paid uh, sometimes central banks cannot stimulate the economy even if they print more money they 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 cannot uh you know stabilize the economy and because of this a lot of like wealthy people put their money into like assets so then there will be less tax and because of less tax there is even larger wealth gap and then um there are they, then the result is like politic extremism like people uh goes um against the like rich people uh so yeah uh when this when this happened sometimes uh, the new world order is going to arise from here. Like if they cannot move up, if they cannot figuring out how they can finance themselves and then pay their debt, then uh, there will be like a new world order because when the new world order come, this is when uh, they restructure their debt. 
So this is like most of the cycle that uh, most of the empire uh, already gone through from the Dutch empire, from the British empire. And uh, right now we are currently witnessing the, the, the decline of the US empire, if we can say. So uh, yeah, this is very interesting. And uh, why I, I, I use this framework is because um, Indonesia is somehow stuck between this changing of this world order. And, um, and I think it's also applied for uh, other countries as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think we can start from there first. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you for that. I will, I'm going to read this. We have this visual in front of us, which I guess is from Ray Dalio's book. And it's mm -hmm. this, the arc you're describing. And he titled this visual, The Typical Big Cycle Behind Empires Rises and Declines. And on the ascent, you have the beginning of the New World Order, followed by peace, prosperity, productive debt growth followed by debt bubble and big wealth gap, which gets you up to the peak of the arc. Then it begins its descent going into the debt bust and economic downturn, printing money and credit, revolutions and wars, debt and political restructuring, and finally um, bottoming, it, bottoming out in a new world order and the cycle repeats. Yeah. So I would <laughs> presume we're somewhere in the printing money and credit stage. And it seems like um, definitely a revolution of sorts is fomenting on multiple yeah. fronts. Um, so it's interesting that, that, you know, these things go, they're so inextricably linked, right? This relationship mm -hmm. of money and credit to the actual boom and bust of global empire. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, most of the, the transition between world order always result in war. Like, mm. like in the Dutch Empire, it's um, there was like the Anglo-Dutch war that happened for a time, and then um, the Dutch actually got defeated, and then British become the main power, mm. and then from the British Empire to uh, the U.S. Empire, it was the World War Two. Yeah, World War One and World War Two. So I don't know, maybe we are in, in the COVID war. <laughs> I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I, think, I think it's, it's interesting because Ray Dalio also said that, I mean, there's also a saying, right? Like history is not similar, but like they rhyme or something like that. Like right, history. it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and what I also like um, from his framework is just, um, yeah, just see, the perspective from the country itself, uh, not to point out who is the villain, who are the hero, because I think like someone, uh, like a hero is someone else villain and then a villain mm -hmm. is someone else hero. So right. uh, yeah, I just want to uh, like talk about this in a more, um, yeah, just to see what they think at that time is best and why, why like what is the consequences of the action. Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it. And I think there is this tendency to want to have an us versus them outlook on the world, especially when things are chaotic and uncertain. You know, you think like, oh, how could they do that to us? But we're, it's much more complicated than that, right? It's not just black or white. And that's why I think it's more useful to follow the incentives and follow the money. You actually see what, what was motivating people 
in any mm-hmm. given set of circumstances and how those motivations change over time mm-hmm. as the money changes, the economy changes or, or power structures. So um, very useful way to look at it. So should we go into then the significance of Indonesia in the world today? Yeah, sure. Um, and I think, yeah, from <laughs> from this different uh empires i think indonesia is quite significant even though uh i think a lot of people doesn't really know much about indonesia a part of like there's a bunch of islands somewhere in uh yeah in this between australia and then thailand or something like that Uh uh which is funny because indonesia actually back in the day is quite uh like important place because they uh like there are a lot of like kingdoms uh and also a lot of people trade in this area because indonesia have a lot of natural resources a lot of um spices and and commodities that is uh actually being uh yeah like people actually look for for that type of commodities mm-hmm. like uh, rubber or uh coffee clove um uh, yeah, like uh, nutmeg. This mm. is are the things that luxurious back in the days, and Indonesia is rich of these resources. Mm. And Indonesia um, is actually quite a vast, vast. How do you say it? Vast, vast. country. Yeah. Vast. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Vast country. Uh, yeah. If you if you see the the size of Indonesia, it's actually bigger than the United States. Uh, if you compare the Indonesia size with uh, European, it's like stretched from Ireland down to Uzbekistan. So it's wow. actually really right, large. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it become like a trading port. Uh, so a lot of people back in the day, the Arabs, the Chinese, they come to Indonesia for trading. Right. And uh, Indonesia also, uh, before like they quite quite rich uh, area because uh, before it was uh, started as like a little kingdoms everywhere in Indonesia and uh, yeah this kingdom they rule up until Philippines until uh, Cambodia and Thailand so uh, the kingdom called Majapahit and everyone knows that Majapahit is uh, quite a rich uh, kingdom because the um let's say the the soldier were like adorned with gold armory and like every mm. palace like is you know with a lot of gold and even up until now there is a gold hunter like they go to like the ancient site of Majapahit and then they sometimes they still find gold and it's wow. uh, they are like a gold hunter in here <laughs> um but uh yeah uh, funny enough like the kingdom um uh collapse because uh even though they have a lot of gold and then they have this ambition that they want to um uh, conquer a lot of land uh, conquer a lot of uh, area uh, so they decided to yeah, debase their currency i guess like mm-hmm. from having a gold uh gold coin they they imported uh, a tin coin from from mongolia from china and because of this is considered like cheaper money than gold and a lot of fake money is being circulated in um in Majapahit around that time 
So uh, not not long they the the kingdom collapsed after that. But anyway, that's that's like I think like the beginning of a currency debasement in Indonesia. Um, so like Indonesia, knowing that it has a lot of natural resources, the location, the size, and also Indonesia owns 17,000 islands. So it's actually quite, quite wow. unique from one another. Uh, 17,000. 17,000 island. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so if you go if you go to like one island every day, uh I don't know how many how many how many years would you take to visit oh, all of this like island? Three it'd be like 45 years or something. Wait, every Probably. day? Wait, every day. No, never mind. That's less. That's four and a half years, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I have to check the math. math. (laughs) (laughs) But it's actually, it takes a long time for you to visit all the the island. Yeah. So um, anyway, like because of these natural resources, a lot of trader comes to um, uh, Indonesia. uh, So uh, especially European, right? Like nutmegs, clove, cardamom, this kind of thing is luxurious. Before Mm -hmm. you guys only have you know, salt, <laughs> mm-hmm. then salt is not exciting for food, I guess. <laughs> uh, so they, um, yeah, uh, the Spanish, uh, the Portuguese actually come to Indonesia to trade and then uh, sell their um, like the spices to European. And then uh, Dutch has the, this idea, like they want to compete with Spanish and the Portuguese. They they want to monopolize uh, the East Indies trade, mm. uh, and the the way they go about it is that they collecting they they collect all of the small enterprise uh, that used to sail to you know this new new world I guess like mm. the 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 East Indies area, mm. and. Uh, they collect them and then they combine it together into what it's called the Ferenite Os Indische Company or VOC or in in English is the Dutch East Indies. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because this is the first publicly traded company Mm -hmm. and uh, people actually can buy some share of the ship uh, and then they, yeah, they create a stock market around this. So, Actually, the VOC birthed capitalism. Right. Capitalism yeah. in a sense of like getting uh, capital from public, yeah, and then creating like stock market, etc. So yeah, that's um, exactly right. The the first joint stock company and um, risk sharing mechanism, so we could participate yeah. in larger enterprises, basically. Yeah. Exactly, and they have like what is called the also fractional share so you don't mm. need to buy the entire ship mm. like people can buy a sh- uh, one tenth of the ship you know so mm-hmm. like if the ship suddenly uh yeah uh, sank somewhere in indonesian ocean they people don't lose that much money mm-hmm. but it's it's very interesting because uh everyone in uh i think in the at, at that time in the Netherlands, like they, they are kind of used to buying bonds. So like the 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 market, the, the financial market is actually booming in mm. uh, in the Netherlands. And VOC is one of the uh, one of the companies that uh, got a lot of funding. And if you 
uh, if we evaluate the VOC with on today's money, it's even bigger than Apple or Google. Like it's um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's like with the value of eight trillion dollar today. Wow, so, crazy! Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Back in the day, like you know, it's kind of yeah. crazy. And uh, yeah, so um, because of this advantage, uh, VOC are able to create like a lot of ship uh, can, yeah, they, they, they have more uh, leverage than let's say the, the, the Spanish or the Portuguese. So they able to, to build a lot of trading posts around Indonesia and then also uh, around the world. But uh, the difference between VOC and the, let's say the Spanish or the Portuguese, the VOC got what is called uh, like a special rights, like an octroi. Mm. Um, so the VOC has a right to mint their own coin in the place where they are settled. And then they can have the rights to negotiate any agreements, rights to have its own military, rights to wage a war. Um, so they are essentially like the, its own country within mm-hmm. the Dutch Empire, because like back in the day, it's so hard to like communicate with the Dutch. Mm-hmm. You have to wait a year probably <laughs> to ask for something. So then the Dutch Empire said like, okay, you guys do your own. What we need from you is that you come back with commodities and goods and bring us a lot of money. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And they they settle their own capital in in uh, Batavia which is currently Jakarta in Indonesia. So so VOC is like its own little satellite countries. Hey everybody. As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider Nidig your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. VOC had special rights called the Octroi, which effectively made them their own sovereign nation, right? They could mint their own money. They could negotiate agreements with locals. They had rights to their own military and rights to wage war. So essentially this, this inaugural capitalistic institution, like the first joint stock company became its own sovereign power. Yeah. It's, it's a bit crazy. It's like, imagine like Facebook, Facebook exactly. <laughs> can yeah. wage a war. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh it's quite yeah, it's quite interesting because that, that's why, like in Indonesia, whenever uh back in the day, when uh we call let's say foreigner, we call them company, company. Uh-huh. And I always think like what is company? Oh 
it's actually it is it's a it's a multi it's a it's a big company that is currently in Indonesia um and it's it's also interesting um so the reason why uh the VOC has this right to mint their own coin because back in the day uh Indonesia people like there are some kingdom who owns their own coin but a lot of people just do barter you know mm-hmm. um because you know there's a lot of abandoned resources you don't really need to probably own money so then the the dutch introduced their gilder uh which is made out of silver they import all of this gilder to indonesia and uh yeah uh the 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 dutch uh has a hope that indonesia will use it among themselves and then also between the indonesian and the dutch but because indonesia is a trading port so whenever the dutch gave them the gilder indonesia buy something from the arabs and then the you know and then the gilder is being gave away to the arabs or to the chinese so they they become frustrated because it's silver right like mm-hmm. uh, back in the day silver is like quite a uh yeah rare commodities so then they decided to mint their own coin uh that is made out of tin called doit mm. um and this is where in indonesia we call money doit and do it until now doit yeah oh interesting so, yeah uh, i just wanted to chime in here that 17000 islands one visiting one island per day will take you 46 and a half years yes <laughs> <laughs> So that can be a retirement plan <laughs> to visit one island. That's Indonesia. a long retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, continue on. Um, so VOC has these rights, right? And then they yeah, they basically uh, able to monopolize the the East Indies um, trade. So um, pushing the Spanish to Philippines and Portuguese to East Timor, and now they own like most of Indonesia, and uh, VOC is also actually quite a brilliant company because they have these different trading ports around the world. So instead of like just getting all of the commodities from Indonesia and then sending it to Europe, they kind of trade between different countries where where they have their own ports mm. so uh for example like they you know we have clove in indonesia so they trade with china and then china uh gave them silk and then they trade that silk to japan and where they get like porcelain and etc so by the time they arrive in the europe they actually able to uh yeah like to sell this luxurious commodities like a rare luxurious commodity that way much profitable than just you know selling clove mm-hmm. <laughs> so they become really rich company but as a because they are they are rich and then they are uh, sponsored by the government of course there's a lot of corruption happening mm-hmm. and then um There is also the Anglo-Dutch war uh, because you know this is where the British wants to compete with the Dutch uh, because at that time Dutch become the world reserve currency and mm-hmm. the British um, also uh, you know they 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 copy the the uh, the Dutch navy ships uh, mm-hmm. technology so 
now they they uh, yeah they come into a war between each other right. uh so uh, the foc lost a lot of money and then even the government tried to bail them out and because the government tried to bail them out uh there's a lot of distrust in the society in the dutch society at that time there's a run on banks on uh bank of amsterdam so finally uh the foc by the late uh, 17th century they uh they went bankrupt mm. so uh yeah it's a it's actually quite long maybe like almost two centuries uh year uh, you know uh this foc's um actually been running so uh what happened then uh the dutch already have a lot of their people in indonesia uh and they think like okay let's just establish a colonies in here and mm. then uh the dutch also i think because the market is uh it's become like homogenized like there are a lot of competition from around the world uh people like you know maybe the spanish or the portuguese also selling nutmeg selling cardamom and selling all these spices uh in europe at that time uh they grow uh, a taste of sugar so they, mm-hmm. they they start liking you know something sweet mm-hmm. so uh the dutch government right now that has replaced the foc uh, they decided that indonesia should produce a lot of sugar and uh they uh yeah uh, this is when uh, the dutch start doing a forced plantation because they want to make um a lot of uh profit yeah mm-hmm. so um they you choose java island uh, as the place where they grow uh, sugar and this is very interesting so uh java in indonesia um is one of the most populated island in the world uh i think almost around more than 60% of indonesian people actually living in java Hmm. So the reason is uh because uh because of this uh, sugar plantation. So what happened is that it's kind of hard for the Dutch to let's say uh uh yeah, make Indonesia as their slave because uh if someone is trying to, you know, be- make them a slave, like maybe they can run away, like uh the terrain is a bit different, etc. So um there is like a really common story that is uh I read it long time ago but I can't find their source but this is like a very common story what happened is that uh the dutch this have this idea that they can borrow against themselves against their future self mm-hmm. and they use this borrowed money and create like some kind of a marketing campaign to the mm-hmm. indonesian women so they say that if you have a baby Uh, we will give you money so uh of course like people say like oh wow free money yay let's uh, you know let's have more babies <laughs> so a lot of indonesian people like you know they make more babies and then they get money from the dutch uh, and then there's a sudden spike on the population right mm. and by the time the uh, all of these kids all of these babies come into age the only jobs that is available are in the sugar plantation so then mm. they can um yeah they can get like cheap labor and then 
yeah grow the 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 sugar plantation and then there is a saying in indonesia called banyak anak banyak rejeki which means uh, with many kids come many fortune and this saying is still exists up until now and it's actually originated from this marketing strategy from the wow. dutch <laughs> So because it was too dangerous or risky or expensive to just perpetrate outright slavery, they yeah. did this kind of economic workaround where they just incentivize people to have a lot of kids and then basically leave them with only one option for employment, which are the sugar yeah. plantations. Wow. Yeah. That's, and then let's make, wow. make Indonesia, especially Java, the most populated island because... Wow. Um, Back in the day, people have like 12 kids, 10 kids. Even my mom has like, uh, my mom grew up in the 1940s and then she has like eight siblings. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's still part yeah. of the culture today. It's, I mean, it's still a saying in the culture. Uh, it's declined now yeah. um, because uh, they, yeah, like later on uh, they try to, manage the population and then uh right now like most of people have like two kids on average but yeah there was a, a big time where where that that actually happened wow what a story <laughs> i know it's a quite fascinating actually. yeah it is. <laughs> uh, yeah so um yeah because of this strategy uh actually the dutch make a bank on a sugar plantation right Mm -hmm. um, and also during this time, uh, uh, they created their first central banks in Indonesia. Mm. So it's called the, the Javash Bank. Um, and in the beginning, the central bank is was created to fund uh, to fund this forced plantation. Mm. So um, you also like to talk about you know property rights and violation of property rights, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, this is also very interesting be uh, between the period of um, POC and the Dutch. Uh, so many people probably asking, like, how come POC were able to conquer Indonesia uh, and also the Dutch and then enable this forced plantation? It's because uh, the land ownership in Indonesia was a blur subject. So... Mm -hmm. Anyone can claim the ownership of the land. So the king can uh, claim the ownership of the land. The farmer who cultivate the land can claim the ownership of the land. Or if you have a house situation situated on that land, you can also yeah, claim ownership. So the, the POC uh, has this idea that um, if, they, if they can get the rights of harvest, you know, they, they don't claim the, the, the ownership of the land, but they just get the right of harvest. And they, they managed to make a negotiation and agreement with like the noble people and the landlord. And yeah, uh, you know, after not, you know, not, not long after that, everyone needs to pay with their harvest. And then this forced plantation become... Uh, yeah, but a massive thing, and slowly, slowly they take the ownership of the land because they get this right of harvest. And back in the day as well, like uh, they <clears throat> implement tax, uh, but it's not like a tax that you have to pay with money, but you have to pay it with 
uh, your your produce, you know, like you have a bunch of rice, you have to give it to the VOC, you give it to the Dutch, you have a bunch of uh, yeah, clove, give it to us. So that's that's I think like the first violation of property rights because mm-hmm. like you you own your like these people on the land, but because yeah, they uh it's like it says it's like a verbal agreement. There's nothing like can um how do I say like can create that force so that people will understand that this is belong to them, like the property rights is belong to them. Right. So let me ask you this and the <clears throat> The original incentive program where the Dutch were paying uh, Indonesian families to have more kids, where was it? Was that currency? Was that a fiat currency being issued and paid to them? Uh, no, I think it is just still like a, a silver back currency. Uh, silver backed originally. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they later move. So after they, they basically realize there's a labor shortage, right? We need to incentivize population growth. Mm-hmm. They incentivize population growth. And then they, instead of having a dispute about land ownership, they just buy the rights to the economic output of the land, the harvest effectively. Yeah. And then yeah. they that's used as, I guess, the, the attack surface to ultimately just claim the land, right? Yeah. <laughs> they just profit from the land and then use the profits to, I guess, ultimately yeah. take ownership of the land. Yeah. Because wow. like what, what, uh what is the good of land you know like you have the yeah. the, the the purpose of land is the economic output like yes. to produce right right and i think back in the day uh maybe the landowner doesn't really think about it they just see it you know yeah this is my land but like they don't yeah they don't think right. it that far <laughs> well it's interesting just how you're i mean there's two sort of acts of deception here with the you know free quote-unquote free money to have more kids but that was they're kind of, um, I guess, gaming people in the short term, but in their long term best interest. And they did the same thing with the land acquisition. Yeah. Um, and it just points to this whole, this whole idea, this big general theme, which we talk about a lot on the show. It's like money is being the prime mover of human action or something like that. It's like if you can control the money or, or use money in a certain way, you can really sculpt history, right? I mean, they really rewrote history um to colonialize i guess indonesia yeah definitely i mean money is tool and Mm -hmm. if you if you know how to use the tool like you know if you know you can you can go far you can you can create beautiful thing you can create dangerous things i guess (laughs) yeah so yeah so yeah and um but uh because this is also uh you know starting based on the f- framework from Ray Dalio uh <clears throat> Indonesia um yeah, sorry the the Dutch actually currently right now on the declining phase so after the VOC went bankrupt and even though they uh make profit from the sugar uh industry uh yeah, they cannot compete with the British. Uh, and then there, there's still like a, this Anglo-Dutch war, the fourth Anglo-Dutch war mm-hmm. happened. And then the Dutch lost on that war. And then there's also um, European depression. So because there are a lot of colonial forces uh, that, yeah, they, they sell the same kind of commodities in Europe. So what happened is that there's like a spice bubble 
in in Europe. Uh, there is a period called the Long Depression, where the spice bubble bursts, and then uh, no one wants to buy. There's a lot of stockpile of uh, <clears throat> these spices in in the um, in the uh, warehouse and etc. So uh, yeah, uh, in the end, the the Dutch power declined, and then the British become the the second uh, world order, the world wow. reserve currency. So yeah. followed that arc almost to a T. <laughs> almost to a T, yeah. 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 Wow. And um, I mean, for the second world order, uh, Indonesia probably not. Uh, what is it called? They're not closely related to the British mm-hmm. because they're still under the Dutch Empire. But the, what happened is that this is also a very interesting turnaround because after Dutch lose their power, lose their world reserve status, they become mellowed out, if you can say. Like they, mm-hmm. they think like, oh, wow, uh, we owe so much to the Indonesian, to the places that they colonialize so there is a grow of ethic politics um, and the Dutch thinking that Indonesian people deserve the rights of education they deserve the rights of uh, irrigation clean water like you know this is where their philanthropy uh-huh. start flourish and it's actually a good th- good time for Indonesia because uh, then you know a lot of scholars uh, start to emerge. There are uh, university being built in Indonesia. People you know can suddenly learn to read. They mm-hmm. go to abroad. They got like different uh, perspective of the world. And at that time, uh, the Dutch also were thinking about. Uh, yeah, maybe we should give Indonesia independence. So they are actually preparing Indonesia uh, to, for independence, right? And Indonesia, and this is also very interesting. So Indonesia is, like I said, it's like consists of 17,000 islands. There are almost like more than 700 languages being spoken in Indonesia wow. from this different island. And instead of choosing like one language from let's say java because it's the most populous mm. island like choosing that as the national language uh they did the opposite they, they say like we have to create our own new language mm. <laughs> so they so bahasa indonesia was first uh built in 1928 uh, it's actually a mix of different language. There's a local language, there's Arab, there's Portuguese, there's a little bit Chinese, there's a little bit English. So it's a it's like a melting pot of language. Mm-hmm. And this language is being it's still being uh, developed up until now. Like every day there will be new words in the dictionary, if I can say. So it's a it's a quite interesting approach, you know, rather than yeah um you know choose one language uh, let's just make our own new language <laughs> hmm. wow yeah 700 okay. different languages so are those dialects or are they all distinctly different languages distinctly different language wow indonesia be- is one of the uh places where most people can speak at least three language hmm Wow, I'd imagine so. <laughs> 700 spoken. 
Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And um, so, yeah, uh, the Dutch uh, basically wants to give Indonesia independence. But uh, if you see what happened in the world uh, at that time, as British become the leading empire, uh, we have... Yeah, we have industrial revolution and then the world the first world war broke out and then the second world war broke out right and this is when it's really affect indonesia because uh the dutch already uh kind of losing their power and and also um the japanese at that time become one of the competing power in the area and the Japanese came to Indonesia to basically they say that they are the savior because they 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 portray themselves as the big brother uh, for Indonesia because we are Asia we are Asia right like hmm. you know uh, this uh, you know Caucasian mm-hmm. foreign people it's completely different we are Asia so you are our ally so the Japanese come to Indonesia and then. Uh, basically kick out uh, the Dutch and it was quite a it was quite a rough time uh, because a lot of companies start being established in Indonesia made by the Dutch so um, yeah like and in the sudden when Japan come uh, a lot of people just you know without any job like for instance like my grandfather he worked at the uh, oil company like uh, the Dutch oil company and when the when the Japanese come all the Dutch fled the country so he was like by himself in in Sumatra uh, where he's actually originally from Java so this is like I don't know the distance between uh, Ireland to um, let's say Germany I guess so mm. it's quite far mm-hmm. so he have to walk and sail for six months to come back to his hometown just because of this. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy time. And um the Japanese uh basically they 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 settled in Indonesia and then uh instead of and they tried to 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 get like the sympathy from Indonesian people saying that they are the big brothers or like the big brothers mm-hmm. and um and also they they dismantled the central bank uh, so they created their own central bank and then the dutch printed their own money and then they say that uh instead of using the gilder which is not a common money that being used in indonesia the dutch gilder they uh they created uh, the japanese version that they call it rupiah Rupiah means uh, silver in 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 Bahasa Indonesia or in Sanskrit at that time, and uh, yeah, this is the way to to uh, to getting the sympathy of Indonesia. Like, look, you know, mm. you don't use the Dutch money anymore. This is mm. your money. Uh, this is called rupiah, uh, and uh, you can use this. And everyone was in the beginning. They were like quite excited because uh, they think like, wow. Okay, they they these people are are good. They come to help us out, without you know, without they know that actually it's a a different thing. Mm-hmm. So the Japan was like, okay, uh, uh, you guys need to 
uh, join us to fight the Western and uh, they start recruiting people for, uh, you know, to be their army. Mm. And then they they enact their own slave labor. Wow. <laughs> so like it's even worse than the the, the Dutch. Yeah. So it's called mm. uh, Romusha. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, basically uh, another violation that happened uh, during the Japanese occupation so all of this within three centuries when the dutch came to indonesia and then start establishing this whole industries of plantation uh the the japan decided that we change all of this we change the sugar plantation we have to plant anything that related to war so like uh rubber uh, so they 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 change the already existing plantation into a completely different plantation right uh and then uh they they also burn a lot of like factories like a sugar factories mm. um and uh so the the commodities that was quite useful at that time was rubber and also what we call jarak or jatrofa plant uh, which mm. is uh, a plant that created biodiesel mm. um so this is the only thing that they they force people to to plant uh, yeah and i mean it doesn't really matter like whether you you actually the landowner or you are the coolies like everyone have to work for the japan and it was actually quite brutal more brutal than the the dutch uh era Wow. So they, the Japanese were doing forced conversions on these sugar plantations into rubber and or biodiesel. Mm -hmm. And then they were forcibly putting labor on these plantations. Is this like yeah. just putting a gun to your head saying, get to work kind of slave labor? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's wow. like nothing. Um, if you, there are, there are two, um, uh, yeah, two type of jobs for Indonesian. Either you are become the soldier or you work in the plantation. Wow. Nothing else. So and this was like, all <laughs> all to fund the war effort during World War II. War II. Yeah. Yes. Wow. This is to yeah, to fund that time. And um yeah, but like uh as we know the the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb kind of ended the the Japanese occupation right <clears throat> and when when this happened the Japanese also fled the country fled Indonesia mm. uh, and Indonesian people see this as a vacuum of power like wow for the first time there's no like occupant in here <laughs> the Dutch are gone the Japanese are gone so they decided to proclaim their own independence. So we proclaim our independence on 1945. Um, and uh, yeah, it's and I think uh, because we see it like no one is here and quickly got recognition from like neighboring countries like, like you know, Egypt and India, etc. So <clears throat> when this happened, the Dutch getting upset because after uh, 
the let's say the allies won the war the dutch wants to come back to indonesia and say like look you guys still belong to us <laughs> like <laughs> you do not you do not tell that you you got independence okay so they come they try to come back um and uh this is called the military aggression uh so they it's not only just like the dutch as the main force but it's also there are like americans there are uh british they want to take take this whole area back because they think like there's a lot of influence from fascism and etc right um but indonesia wants to fight back because like we think that we already got our independence we are independent country uh we don't want to be uh, colonialized anymore uh so the way uh, a part of like getting into like a, a real conflict like a war conflict another way for the allies at that time or the dutch to uh destabilize indonesia is uh through a currency war mm-hmm. so indonesia Uh, in 1946, they decided like, if we are an independent country, we need to have our own money. Uh, we cannot use the Dutch gilden anymore. So the the vice presidents, um, cr- like they announced that they we are going to create uh, like our own version of rupiah, but it's actually a greenback money. So it's not backed by, it's not, it's not linked to any, a precious metal it's not linked to any gold or mm. silver it's just a greenback and then they 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 create a fixed rate of um two rupiah equals a gram of gold mm. right so uh this is called ori um uh yeah so when the dutch came they see that oh indonesia have their own money there's also the japanese version of uh you know japanese rupiah mm-hmm. so then they decided that they they put more um of their own money the dutch gilder and then they create fake money they create fake ori they create fake rupiah and just try to destabilize this this uh rupiah market yeah right this is just a great point that you know inflation like we think arbitrary supply expansion of, of fiat currency. We've been conditioned to think that's good and healthy and the central bank does it for our own benefit. But here you are laying out the case that it was used as a weapon in wartime, right? They're trying to economically destabilize an area by yeah. counterfeiting its currency effectively. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's also yeah, quite funny because like in the rupiah is greenback obviously lose value quickly in comparison to the Dutch gilder. So the people are kind of stuck in the middle in here. Mm. So if you, let's say, if I'm a merchant, I would probably prefer to get the Dutch gilder because it's more stable. It's, you know, it has, it's actually more, it has a stable value. But uh, if a nationalist sees me, accepting dutch gilder then they see me as a tr- traitor so there's a lot of like there's a there's a war between the nationalists like indonesian nationalists and then also the, the dutch and then if they accept the rupiah it lose value because like within one year so they say that 
two rupiah equals one gram of gold. And within one year, one gram of gold is equal 500 rupiah. So that's like already wow. lose so much value. Wow. So this is why back in the day, if you ask any grandma or grandpa in Indonesia, they always say, save your money in gold. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only, the, the only thing that, that, you know, that you can rely on. Right. Yeah. Grandma, grandma wisdom. They know best. Grandma's wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, this whole aggression keep happening and not only just, you know, Indonesia needs to, uh, needs to, uh, deal with the, the aggression from the allies, but they're also dealing with their own internal conflict. Right. There's a lot of communist uh, influence happening, start happening in Indonesia. So there's like like kind of like civil war happening. There's also war with the with the allies. So uh, actually, there was like a, an incident um, that happened between the Indonesian government and the communists. And then they're able to resolve it uh, quite quickly. And the U.S. actually, as the third world order, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, because this is after after the World War II, the British actually, uh, the British Empire declined. The empire is getting too expensive. And U.S., especially after Brit- Bretton Woods system, uh, they decided like this is the new reserve currency that makes the U.S. become the, the third empire, third world order. And uh, one of the way for the U.S. start spreading uh, their power is through, um, yeah, Marshall Plan. Like hmm. try to, um, you know, <clears throat> stop the spreading of communism. And they see that Indonesia were able to uh, resolve the, the problem with communism. So then the U.S. forced the Dutch to, uh, you know, you guys need to stop this military aggression. Just give Indonesia, the, you know, just recognize the Indonesia's independent. So mm. in 1949, the Dutch uh, and Indonesia come together in Den Haag and they created this round table agreement. Uh, the Dutch recognize Indonesia independence, but there is a but. <laughs> uh, Indonesia uh, needs to pay the Dutch war debt, mm. which is equal to 4.9 billion guilder at that time, 5.2 or something like that. Between four. So to you can five. have your independence at a price. At a price, exactly. Yeah. It's a. I mean. I think for Indonesia, you know, this is as good as they can get, I guess. Mm. And they say like, okay, we take, they sign the agreement. Uh, and then they, the, the Dutch also said the, the Japanese bank, which is the, the central bank that they created, should be the Indonesia central bank. Mm. So, uh, yeah, this is kind of funny. Because Indonesia tried to create their own central bank uh, by printing, printing the 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 ori, right? Their their own mm-hmm. money, but it's, it's uh, yeah, uh, they they cannot compete with the the Japanese bank. So then, 
Okay, the central bank has been established uh, in Indonesia, and Indonesia needs to pay the war debt. And this is actually really hard for Indonesia um, uh, after they got their recognition. Um, and there's so, so many radicals policy need to be made just to pay this war debt. So one of the radical uh, policies uh, was this thing called Shafruddin Scissor. So as we know that there are a lot of gilder, a lot of Dutch money being circulated in Indonesia and they need to, uh, yeah, they need to basically reduce the circulation. Mm -hmm. So what happened uh, the minister Shafruddin at that time has this idea that everyone should cut the gilder, uh, you know, into half physically. <laughs> they have to cut the gilder into half. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you have, if you have like a five uh, florin gilder, yeah, um, and you cut into half, so then the this money, the five gilder, become two point five. The right side, you can use it to purchase. The left side, use for bond with the maturity of 40 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. So loan so, it to the government, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> loan it to government. Loan the government I mean, half the money supply. <laughs> half the money supply, exactly. Wow. <laughs> and they, they managed to kind of um, reduce the, the circulation right uh, but yeah it's not it doesn't take long that indonesia money just like devalued you know so much and um another thing that they did was they uh they like the inflation actually going rampant because of this yeah because it's it's a it's a greenback money and uh yeah the 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 first government also uh, have to deal with this war debt so of course the only thing that they can do is to print money because mm -hmm. the <clears throat> the whole trading infrastructure was made by the dutch and indonesia needs to restart everything from the bottom up right mm -hmm. so um within one year the money has lost its value by 160 percent mm -hmm. And um, another radical economic policy that they did after this, you know, starting there's inflation, inflation happening, they tried to cut uh, the zero. So they, they, they did the debasement. So if you have like 100 rupiah, the 100 rupiah now worth 10 rupiah, like they, mm. they, they cut the zero. So like if you have a 100 rupiah bill, it's mm -hmm. not worth it anymore. And if you have, uh, yeah, basically they cut it by like 90%. So what happened is that, of course, people who own uh, this money, like 100 rupiah will not be use, useful anymore. So they go to market, they buy a lot of stuff and obviously drive the price up, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. uh, suddenly like there's this uh, flood of money. And people in the market think that they're getting rich, but actually, mm -hmm. no, this money is not, it's not useful. Right. And then uh, the government also uh, froze any bank account that has uh, balanced more than 25,000 rupiah. 
So like, yeah, and and it's it's a bit crazy. So uh, they 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 base the currency. Uh, of obviously, like inflation happened, and uh, because of this war debt burden, there's like you know there's a sentiment of anti-Western, right? Like there uh-huh. are more like there are a lot of uh, maybe grudges against like uh, the debt. Uh, so there's a gain, uh, there are more influence of communism happening in Indonesia. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the first president also trying to, um, let's say, create a good branding, I guess, for Indonesia. So they, 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 they invest in uh, <clears throat> expensive big budget events such as like ASEAN Games, uh, there's like a non-aligned movement conference. And then he built like a lot of statues like to show like patriotism, etc. Mm. And uh, another thing is that Malaysia, which is the neighboring countries, uh, will get the independent from the British. And uh, Indonesia see this as like an attack for Indonesia. Because they think like Malaysia will be, uh, Malaysia they consider it as a brother. But then uh, if you, uh, what is it called? Like if if they got independence from the British, means they are like the British allies some, mm. for some reason. Wow. So they wage war against Malaysia, and then this is creating even more spending, right? The spending even more bloated. The the budgets become more deficit. And uh, yeah, like it's it's just getting worse. And uh, because of these policies, uh, the inflation soar. Uh, so what happened is that uh, in 1966, the inflation rose to 500 percent. Wow! And then the in the black market, it's even more than that. Like uh, maybe even 5,000 percent on the black market. So for like, let's say if, if you want to trade U.S. dollars with right. India. So 500% probably under the price controls and whatnot that were put in place, but 5,000% yeah. in the real market. In the real market, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, uh, and then they, they did as well. Uh, uh, so yeah, they, they already reduced debase the value they debased the indonesian value before and then they did the debasement again so anything that uh let's say uh money that is between yeah 500 1000 they cut the value into now it's more than 10% just be just to trying to uh make it looks like it's everything is all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's an illusion, right? It's it just it's an illusion. You're you're doing a, I guess, an inverse. You're trying to dilute the perception of inflation, ultimately, right? Yeah. This like all of a sudden, I need I needed I don't know 100 rupiah to buy this bread a couple of years ago. Now it's 10,000. Well, they just chop off a few zeros and act like everything's mm-hmm. back to normal. Um, and I assume this was done just overnight, right? They just kind of issue an edict and say, hey. That that yeah. one thousand is now one hundred, basically. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good reminder here that 
again, in the Western world where we take these things for granted, like the hundred dollar bill is just a hundred dollar bill. I can always spend it. It always works. It's, you know, roughly the same value over time, but government holds a kill switch on all money, all fiat currency. They can turn it off at any time. They can change its denomination. They can do anything. Um, We saw this in India too, where overnight the 500 rupee banknote was just deauthorized. Right. So like one day, 500 and 1000 and 1000. Thank you. It's just that, I mean, there's a liability inherent to fiat currency that you cannot get rid of. Like people think they're holding money. It's just an asset they can use to spend, but there's a liability attached to it that few people understand. Exactly. Yeah. I actually have, I actually bought this uh, one rupiah note as Mm. a reminder because back in the day, this is half of half of gram of gold, <laughs> right? And then right now, half gram of gold in Indonesia is worth four hundred thousand rupiah. Wow, <laughs> staggering! Staggering! I know it's crazy. So, and what is the period uh, of time then that it went from one to four hundred thousand? Let's say forty-six to. Right now, 2021. So 1946 to 2021. So a period of so, 75 years, I guess. 75 years. I wow. mean, it's not a good investment. I guess. No, not a good investment. <laughs> a good investment. Yeah. So, yeah. So hyperinflation happened. And this is during, let's say, when my dad was 16 years old. And he told me that it was really bad. Like everything has become so expensive. Everyone is starving. He have to eat snail from the river (laughs) and then like just go to like, I don't know, some bushes and then try to figure out what are the things that they can eat. Um, A lot of business went bankrupt. My grandpa's business went bankrupt. Um, But like... For example, in on my mom's story, like his her father is a civil servant, so the civil servants were still quite okay because they got supported by the government. They actually their salary got uh, increased, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they got like benefit, you know. So this is why, right. in my parents' generation, everyone always say you have to work as a civil servant because your your life is going to be guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny, yeah. So I think this is the reason why, uh, yeah. I mean, this is also the, the sentiment of a more uh, authoritarian government. Oh, by the way, before that, before this whole hyperinflation happening, I forgot to mention the important factor was that the first president, uh, they de- he decided that he wants to be the president of a lifetime. <laughs> and, and then he created this uh, type of democracy called the guided democracy and then the guided economy. So all the economy activity has need to have an approval from the president. Yeah, from the government. So this whole thing basically created this hyperinflation, right? The the government uh, deny on free market, Mm-hmm. actually make things worse it's it's so 
perverted because as you mentioned earlier, Indonesia is so rich in natural resources. I mean, I was, there's like, you know, foods abundant relatively fruit growing on trees and it's such a beautiful place has a great climate. Um, but in these instances of broken money, it just, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't even matter mm-hmm. that you're naturally rich. Mm-hmm. The trust and cooperation between people is basically annihilated, right? When the money doesn't work, you just can't coordinate anything. You can't, yeah. you can't engage in capitalism, basically. So all the wealth associated with capitalism declines. Um, and then the state becomes the only institution that, that grows, yeah. And the state, by virtue of monopolizing the money, but this, the problem with that is governments misallocating all of that capital because they don't mm-hmm. earn the money. They steal the money. So when the money's stolen, it's very easy to spend, right? Oh, just, oh they want to pay raise? Give them a pay raise. Yeah. <laughs> and so you end up, this is like, we saw this in Soviet Russia too, where by the end, right before the collapse of the USSR, I think one third of employees in the entire country worked for the state. They were informants typically. Mm-hmm. And everyone's life is miserable. Like you, the job is a nonsense job. You just show up and sit behind a desk or push paper. You're not creating any actual economic value. You're just consuming economic value. So yeah. this idea of breaking the money actually pushes us away from production, like productive activity and towards consumption. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems to be the theme that keeps happening in in all these societies that leads to their demise. Yeah. I mean, obviously this, um, because of this hyperinflation, this is the end uh, of the 20 years of ruling for the first president, Sukarno. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's also quite a bloody uh, transition because uh, he, he, he grew, he grew into uh, more and more uh, he he adopting more and more communism value mm. uh so uh there was an incident in the 30th of september where seventh of general got kidnapped supposedly by the by the communist party and then uh yeah they they got assassinated in there and a lot and obviously uh there's a um like pushback from from the Indonesian people, and yeah, like um, uh, there's like a bloody massacre happening with the mm. communist party, and mm. you know, uh, it's a, something that Indonesian people probably doesn't want to talk about. Um, but yeah, like everyone, if want to learn about that, they they can, I think, learn it on the internet. Like what's happening between 1966 and 1965, 1966. In that sense. So <clears throat> during this transition, then this the, another guy came into power, but he actually uh, has a different approach than the first president. So he is, I think, more um, uh, getting a lot of influence from the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, when he start getting into power, uh, actually, it's quite good. Like he reduced the inflation from 600 percent to 16 percent. Mm. Just uh, quite improvement by by you know increasing interest rate and um, yeah like uh, getting also foreign loan <laughs> like this is where <clears throat> the IMF and the World Bank start coming to Indonesia. Uh, so in what happened 
during the first president um, time, like they he closed most of the international investment because he's he has this anti-Western sentiment, right? Like he 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 thinks that uh, it's just another new type of colonialism. Where the other guy he decided to open the the Indonesia for foreign investment. Uh, but it's also a bit debatable. Like some, some part is actually really help Indonesia from the famine, um, like you know, from the hunger, mm-hmm. and increase the economy uh, output. But on the other side, a uh, lot of foreign investment came to Indonesia and take important resources such as gold. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like there is a there's a foreign there are several like foreign companies that has a gold mining in Indonesia. Like one of them is like Freeport, the U.S. company. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's quite controversial, if you can say. Uh, but I guess after what happened uh, previously, twenty years earlier, uh, I think Indonesian people are quite uh, happy with the development that's been happening, even though um, the guy is also running as a dictator, right? Like he he ran for 32 years in Indonesia, the second uh, president. Mm. Uh, and uh, because he runs so long and he's coming from military background. Uh, yeah, he uh, basically he, he managed to get surrounded by a lot of rent seeker, a lot of kleptocracy, like. Corruption, there's a lot mm. of corruption, a lot of uh, military people um, own important, let's say, uh, industry in Indonesia, and mm. then they, they en- enrich themselves kind of like that. So obviously, the wealth gap is getting even bigger as well. And um, yeah, at that time, there's no free speech. You can't criticize the government if you criticize. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's you're not going to have a happy ending basically if wow. you criticize the government um and, uh, so when, this, when when was this uh stance against criticism when yeah what year is this, is this ongoing uh, today or uh, a little bit kind of but it's it's better than before like mm-hmm. uh this is between 66 until 1998 Mm. Um, this is where during his, his his period, um, and a lot of people, yeah, like you know, if you if you spoke against the government, they they going to kidnap you, and yeah, you don't hear from them, you know, wow. for a long time. Um, right now, uh, you still you, you have some some sort of free speech, but also quite limited, if I can say, in yeah. Indonesia. Yeah, I recall but, um, before we left. Indonesia some I think it was a tourist had spoken out against the government and was detained mm-hmm. or just saying something I, I don't know the exact circumstances but I think they made a post or a video of some kind speaking out against uh, Indonesia or, or some representative of Indonesia and they were detained for that yeah. which in the western world is like unheard of I mean not unheard of but it goes against um at least the principles of Western civilization, not to say that it's not also done here, but um, <laughs> it was, it was pretty shocking for us to hear that when we were there. Yeah, I guess, I guess there's like certain, you know, yeah. I mean, when, when it comes to free speech, uh, 
as long as the government control the money, I guess there's no such thing as free speech. That's exactly right. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah. Um, so back to the guy. Uh, I have 19. Yeah, but this is actually a quite a booming time for Indonesia. And especially uh, Indonesia produced a lot of oil. And uh, there are there was the Iraq, you know, the Gulf War, the Gulf War happening in uh, in the U.S. and Indonesia be, was part of the OPEC and obviously profit from uh, this war somehow. And so, so this is actually quite a booming time for Indonesia, and everyone thinks like you know uh, this is a great time. Uh, people are getting rich, and uh, and the government also establish a fixed rate between rupiah and, and US dollars, which means that um, you know they, they set a certain certain price and if the price goes up or below the government is going to compensate that right mm-hmm. And with this cheap dollar, uh, a lot of companies actually borrowed money in a dollar denomination in Indonesia. So yeah back in 1990s at you know this is the time where, uh, there are massive, um, what is it called? Like banking, banking become uh, there's a banking fever. Like there's a new banks established in Indonesia, uh, and obviously with new banks, uh, there are more loans, more debt, right? So a lot of a lot of uh, companies actually borrowed money with borrowed cheap dollar. And uh, in 19, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 1985, and between 1985 and 1995, uh, there's another problem happening in, in between Japan and Germany and the US. Uh, so Japan's economy is declining. So uh, Japan, Germany, and, uh, uh, and US decided to come together and create it a plaza accord and also reverse plaza accord which essentially is to uh devalue dollars so then these other countries can become more competitive mm-hmm. but what happened when dollars got devalued uh it's like some kind of a contagion effect mm-hmm. to other countries who already enjoy this you know cheap dollars everywhere so it started in Thailand and, you know, Thailand, uh, suddenly like the dollar value is just too much for the, for the Thai baht. And uh, yeah, the, the value of Thai baht, if I'm not mistaken, is just going down to like almost lose like 20%. And then the, the Thai to, the Thai government tried to spend more than 20 billion to, to billion dollars to maintain the bad uh, rate with the dollar, but ultimately fail. And this is kind of like a cascading effect between all of the countries in Asia, right? And this is where in 1997, this is where it called uh, the Asia crisis. And this is happening even worse in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So uh, before $1 was uh, being packed, uh, yeah, we have a fixed rate of two thousand six hundred dollars. Uh, two thousand six hundred rupiah. So one dollars is equal to two thousand six hundred rupiah. And by May, 
it become 16,000 rupiah. So it grew wow. almost what was that like eight times, 800%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is all, I mean, again, all of these machinations where they're trying to peg one currency to a fixed rate of another, mm-hmm. this is all government intervention trying to fight market forces. Like people are always yeah. just going to trade around whatever barriers they put in their way. The market always wins, I guess is the short punchline. But we have mm-hmm. so many instances of governments trying to intervene and intercede and interrupt market forces. And it never works. It never works, yet governments keep trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an illusion, right? Like it's mm-hmm. an illusion that you can control this thing. But um, yeah, like... Market is a very organic, it's almost like an organism. And then yes. one of the best quote from Jurassic Park, life will find its way. That's right. <laughs> life finds a way. Exactly. So does so does market, I guess. Market will find its way. That's right. So yeah, I mean the the do- rupiah is just like tank, like rupiah devalued a lot. GDP plummeted like everyone's become panic and suddenly the government decided like we do we are no longer um, you know <clears throat> uh, having a fixed rate against dollars we have a floating rate and then everyone's become panicked because they borrowed money in in dollar terms right so, right <laughs> and yeah they they um, there's a run on banks um, so it's a, it's a chaos time it's a chaos time and uh obviously like i mentioned before in 1980s and early 1990s there are a lot of banks uh being created in indonesia there's a bank fever and this mm. bank actually there are a lot of like sick banks that the one that <clears throat> not productive anymore mm-hmm. so this has become a liabilities for indonesian government and um, the IMF, uh, also through with Bank Indonesia, uh, decided that they will bail the banks out. <laughs> <laughs> this is like nine, 2008, right? This is yeah. actually yeah. history kind of rhyme, right? Repeat itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the deadline to repay this uh, fund, um, like this... Uh, what is it called? We call it the BLBI. So like <clears throat> the the fund that uh, from IMF and Bank Indonesia, the bailout fund. <clears throat> uh, so the government froze 38 unhealthy banks uh, and then they save 48 banks uh, and they, this 48 banks receive the BLBI fund uh, from IMF. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the, uh, let's say, terms and agreement from the IMF. Um, the IMF wants Indonesia to increase the interest rate. But the problem is the, the economy is already contract so much that is, if you try to increase the interest rate, it's just gonna, yeah, it's just gonna create chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So that's also what happened in, in on May 5th. Um, uh, people, there's there start, a lot of like protests happening in in Indonesia, and then the government decided to cut subsidies uh, on kerosene, electricity, uh, and you know all of these basic commodities that is being supported by the government. 
and obviously everyone went into hysteria and panic mm-hmm. and the the price of gasoline rose by 70% and yeah like uh there's like riots everywhere and when there is <clears throat> this type of uh, instability people are trying to find uh like a black sheep like who are the people that they're going to blame mm-hmm. and then they they blame it to the chinese like the indonesian chinese right. there are a lot of um uh what is it called like uh yeah uh, violence against them and they become main target it was it was crazy 1998 was crazy so in the wow. end uh the people uh took over the parliament building and then they uh yeah they forced the 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 second president to resign so then he resigned after 32 years wow. that's like yeah that's like kind of like the if if i can see i mean the the art also can be implemented in the nation scale right so this mm-hmm. is like when the bubbles starting to burst and people are become panic yeah yeah that same arc that governs the new world order you can see a microcosm of it inside of countries and it's similarly connected to the debasement of the currency right like there's a buildup there's healthy debt right as there's economic growth being taken place but then it it reaches a point where the debt can no longer service the growth of the economy and it goes into contraction um but all the while you know, government interventions worsening, trying to correct the problems, but actually making the problems worse, which is so, I mean, it's, it's interesting to look at it that way, but it's also like, what are we doing? We just keep repeating. We've repeated it so many times that Ray Dalio is writing a book about it, drawing little pictures <laughs> about how it happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. I guess it's just like, what's that? There's like a tweet that is being circulated on twitter like heart man hard time create heart man heart man makes good time good time create weak man (laughs) yes exactly it's all cyclical but just looking at it through the bitcoin lens i mean if bitcoin were available i think this arc would look a lot different right it would just it would clear itself much more quickly because people would have more options frankly yeah, I mean, there's no money. There's no, let's say, things that manipulate the market. <clears throat> and I don't know. It's just like, I, I don't know. I, I see the market is like a kid, you know, like you cannot, you cannot lie to the kid. Like if you lie to the kid, the kid's going to become spoiled. Kind of like, yeah, like you right. have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, 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 it's trying to control something that alive it's 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 almost impossible yeah i say i've said um you can't push water you know it's like you're trying to force something that's organic and it it just flows around you Mm -hmm. so you try to apply force to water it just if you push water what does it do it just goes around your hands you know um and it's also interesting too that you know we're, we're zeroed in right now on indonesia but in these times where the u.s dollar was kind of the premier asset Right where people had had borrowed dollars, but then when there was a subsequent decoupling, like I know when I was there, um, the dollar is very valued, right? Still, 
It's mm-hmm. very valued in Indonesia and in many places in the world. But when you come to realize that like the rupiah has the same mechanics as the dollars, like the asset that you think you think you're getting out of a bad asset, rupiah and getting into dollars, now I'm safe. Like, no, not at all. You've left one pyramid scheme and moved into another pyramid scheme. I mean, maybe it's a bigger pyramid scheme and it's more stable and it's more widely accepted, but it's still another scheme. So um, we've been stuck in this pattern, it seems like across human history of just like trying to get out of one bad money into another bad money. And But like <laughs> yeah. grandma's wisdom said, gold was the one you really wanted, right? Yeah. But gold was just hard to use day to day. Yeah. yeah. And the gold also uh, debatable, right? Uh, yeah. with- whether uh, and i think that the, the the biggest issue here is the supply itself mm-hmm. right like um if uh, people have the ability to print money or become more productive they will opt to print more money because you know pr- being productive is a hard work right using energy yes. you know it's it's tiring it's tiring yes. to be productive yes. But the yeah. only way for uh, anyone or even country, a person or a country needs to survive is they need to earn more than they spend, mm-hmm. right? And then they have, so they, they, they can um, save what the, they're earning. It's yes. something that is, you know, valuable. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the path of least resistance. If you can just print money to get out of your, past bad decisions and you'll do that. But if that option's not there, then you'll go to work. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, to your point, producing more than you consume, like it's so basic and obvious, you know, that if you're a, you know, if you're just a solo farmer in the middle of nowhere, if you want to survive long-term, you better produce more than you consume, obviously. Well, turns out the same is true for every level of economic analysis, right? The individual, the company, the nation, Yet we keep trying to consume more than we produce via this uh, fiat money mechanism, right? We've tried to find an excuse to just consume and not produce, have others produce for us, but it keeps, it just creates this battlefield of, of economic activity that, I mean, it's really been the number one driver in human history, right? So people fighting over who's producing and who's consuming. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And Yeah, I hope that I hope that people will see that. <laughs> yeah. I hope people will wake up and then like, you know, hey, go to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh I guess the Asia crisis uh kind of like uh yeah, become the end of the second president. Um even though yeah, he he actually made quite a lot of progress uh on the Indonesia economy. Um but yeah it's just it's just like too many corruption happening and even then the the fund that was being disbursed by the Bank Indonesia and also uh uh what is it called the the IMF mm-hmm. like there are a lot of scandals going on in here uh like <clears throat> Uh, 55, 54 trillion uh, got went missing for somehow <laughs> because of this corruption, right? And this is also the thing, like, you know, you, you're trying to help people, but if, if 
with free money is actually uh, there are a lot of let's say temptation to do bad things right mm-hmm. so so up until now uh yeah there are this this money is still being disputed um a lot of banks still not repaid back their uh their loans uh, from the bank indonesia the one of some of the top banks got detained uh for corruption or fled the countries so yeah mm. still like uh, uh problems right now and uh <clears throat> so looking back again to the arc uh as we see that the asia crisis is like maybe at the at just like after the top peak and then start to going decline uh i mean right now indonesia is facing the period of uh again like a lot of printing money and then uh debt and um like any of this arc they're always a competing uh let's say competing actor uh where like in dutch there's british and then in british time there's us and then now uh when us become the world reserve currency there are there's chinese right mm-hmm. so china has gained a lot of um, uh yeah like relationship with the indonesian government and um obviously like indonesia just received uh like quite a bunch of money for the for the belt and road initiative uh, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in indonesia uh so <clears throat> the, the question is uh, whether are we currently like right now on the declining phase and where is the next order right where is mm-hmm. the new order mm-hmm. are we going to go to another fiat system are we going to like a china system or uh, the cbdc like this this type of um economy or we have we go to like a completely new system which is bitcoin <laughs> right so i guess this is the 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 question for not only indonesian but um also for everyone around the world you were just saying that yeah so like the next world order is it another fiat currency standard or do we move to something incorruptible like bitcoin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it is it's an open question but i just wanted to add to that that it's also a choice ultimately like it, us educating people about this history and about the nature of monetary corruption and how it enables all forms of government tyranny and atrocity i think that's key to enabling the right choice right because ultimately it is just a decision if people decide to hold their savings in bitcoin and facilitate exchange in bitcoin then all of this dark history goes away right it's no longer part of our future exactly and it's just like the same thing like what happened with gold standard right like no one there's no like authority saying that we are using gold like it exactly. is market who decided that they think this rock has a value this rock can uh, you know store value for a long time and mm-hmm. they decided that they want to use it and then nations start adopting it and then everyone in the world start adopting it so it's it's true like it depends on us it depends on the market as well like you know what kind of a world that we want to see and it's it's a good it's a good framework what 
Ray Dalio put up <laughs> because this framework is is actually a framework of a uh, of a fiat system, right? And it's just uh, it just there's a ascend, there's peak and decline, and it's just gonna continue like that. So the question is, if we adopt another fiat system, are we like are we going to yeah stay for another decline or or another crazy time or do we want to dive into the unknown and then see you know create something new create a new framework yeah that's yeah yeah it's it's very exciting um and it seems like the race is on in the digital space right because now we have states trying to position themselves like China actually to, to have this total tech no this technocracy you know they control everything they've got a central bank digital currency everything's run by a master app there's that whole you know kind of Orwellian dystopian digital possibility and then there's this other side which is Bitcoin right it's like self-sovereignty everyone owns themselves there's no there's less information asymmetry um just fair stable rules for people to play by mm -hmm. so it's it's very interesting to be alive right now because it seems like the possibilities are just very open right could go very dark or could go very light mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean like <clears throat> another thing that ray dalio put, pointed out is that every every new order always comes with a new type of technology right mm -hmm. and uh we us has birthed internet <laughs> like the us world mm -hmm. order has birthed internet and um i i see that the yeah bitcoin is like some kind of a new technology that will will be adopted like because internet has become so connected uh it needs value of you know that we can use within that internet space and the only thing that is makes sense is bitcoin rather than mm -hmm. the other type of centralized um yeah uh, monetary or coin tokens <laughs> yeah i mean you just the history we've walked through so far like how much of it would not have transpired if there was just this fixed rule set and money right where no one could manipulate it or oh we're going to peg our currency at two to one to this like the, all these games that people are trying to play they just get vaporized if you're on a bitcoin mm. standard so um it's interesting to think about how much it could really change things yeah and then uh countries like indonesia for example um like i think 60 percent of them are unbanked we have 270 million people in indonesia wow. the fourth largest population in the world uh just after us and uh a lot of them are doesn't have bank yeah. right uh and then if we see from the statistic as well <clears throat> banks you know the creation of new banks are actually declining every year in indonesia like there are less and less bank being created in indonesia and there are more fintech right there are, people are, are actually moving towards mobile mobile mm. penetration is like 70 percent right now mm. 60 70 percent in indonesia most people own mobile phone so <clears throat> it's actually there's a lot of potential for indonesia to adopt uh bitcoin uh 
but it's, it is a matter of education. It is a matter of uh, for us to understand our current system, which is like if after you read history and if you see what's happening, you know, you will you will start thinking like, why do I hold fiat money? <laughs> so uh, it is what like you know the the kind of show that you made the what is money show like the question of money this is the the kind of education that everyone gets to have only just like you know uh american but everyone in the world including indonesia needs to know the question what is money yeah and i would throw in here that Even Ray Dalio, right? A guy that's like the most successful hedge fund manager in history, understands history at a very deep level, as is um, plain to see in his writing, his books, and his talking. Understands the value of gold, even. Only recently did he start to understand the value of Bitcoin. Like it took him, this guy that presumably in the world is one of the most knowledgeable people on markets, money, history, all these things. He only just now started to see it. So like, this isn't some educational campaign that like a few people have this education and a lot of people don't. It's like 99.99% of humans have no idea what money is in my estimation. If Ray Dalio doesn't know what money is, I'm going to say that disqualifies like 99.99% of everyone else. So this is a very, it's like as a species, we have, we have discounted how important money is and we've tried mm-hmm. to manage it and play these games and create fiat and you know um all the, these these games we we talked about all this economic colonialism and slavery and all like we keep trying to game the system but it just blows up in our face every single time <laughs> exactly yeah and i i, I think I think there are like certain reason why uh, they want to put people in the dark so then they can keep the money game continue, you know, this this, this whole things continue. Uh, But we are living in the new era. We are living in the information era Mm -hmm. and uh, we have, let's say, a benefit more than our predecessor because Right now, I can converse with you about money in Indonesia just through internet, That's right? right? Yeah. <laughs> like this is something I haven't been ha- like. There, there's, there's nothing happened like this before. So exactly. yeah, yeah. And um, talking as a close thing to 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 uh, yeah, pointed out, but Indonesia, um, when it comes to like crypto adoption, Indonesia is you know, crypto adoption is still very small, like 270 million people and only 7.4 million were currently using uh, cryptocurrency. Mm. Well, most of them own a little bit of Bitcoin, uh, but they, the 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 uh, question is that do they really understand Bitcoin? Do they just like mm. hold Bitcoin in, in terms of getting more fiat? or they own bitcoin because they want to they want to hodl bitcoin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right uh so this is another question and um like uh yeah i mean indonesia um there, there's with i think with everything in the world right now like we are moving toward the cbdc realm and um yeah like 
I, I guess, um, you know, when, when CBDC is being launched, because Indonesia uh, currently are considering of uh, that kind of CBDC and especially um, trying to fall, trying to copy of whatever China is doing, which is a bit scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, so I think the, what we see from history is that whatever uh, economical mishap that happened, people will opt out for harder money mm-hmm. whether it's gold real estate or uh, yeah like mm-hmm. you can see it from from the dutch empire to the british empire to mm-hmm. the us empire in indonesia people will opt out to like harder uh, type of money mm-hmm. so i think whether cbdc will be released it's actually a net positive for indonesia because it will actually kind of bring more adoption to bitcoin if people kind of see what's 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 been happening Hmm. yeah i think you make a great case and it really is that simple right just the money that is least manipulable or least corruptible or most resistant to change it's like the most boring money wins because that's really what you want you want your money to be boring and safe and sound and um resistant to all the risk in the world there's enough risk in the world it's like you're going into the market taking a lot of risk in terms of your capital your reputation your ideas uh you know in some cases your life depending on what job you're doing and the fruits of those labor the fruits of that labor you want to be able to store that in something that's insulated from risk that's what money is so Mm -hmm. uh it seems somewhat obvious that but people are just going to wake up to this reality about bitcoin especially as governments get more and more aggressive on property right violations people will move into the property that's hardest to violate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and uh when that when government cannot <clears throat> confiscate it they cannot um take away your property uh this is when like you know what you always mention in your show like you know your individual sovereign sovereignty mm-hmm. is just gonna flourish right and everyone yeah. uh yeah it's just like <clears throat> i think the basis of everyone um livelihood is safety and then just to to ensure that you you already store your wealth and your 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 the fruit of your labor in a, in a safe container mm-hmm. that is cannot be confiscated can that actually can propel more innovation and propel more uh yeah like a better better civilization i think absolutely yeah you just you're incentivizing responsibility at the individual level mm-hmm. and yeah. if you don't have that you just don't have a stable society yeah yeah beautiful so should we talk about um Indonesia, you said Indonesia is currently at a crossroads with CBDC or Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean th- that's what I meant. Like, uh, th- there's a choices between people. You know, whether they want to use the CBDC or they can use Bitcoin. Um, even though right now, uh, when it comes to like uh, legal sense, um, 
And this is also quite interesting in Indonesia. So Bitcoin is not allowed as a legal tender in Indonesia because uh-huh. uh, the legal tender is rupiah, right? They they have this law being passed um, in 2017. So, but the Indonesia uh, government see Bitcoin as a commodity and it's being, let's say, uh, regulated under the um, Ministry of Commerce. And <clears throat> there are like more and more um, interesting development happening in, in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? Like we all see now uh, the a lot of like U.S. government uh, governor trying you know talk about bitcoin there's mm-hmm. a lot like bill passed in the u.s about bitcoin uh el salvador adopting bitcoin mm-hmm. russia <clears throat> is con- uh, considering like bitcoin mining so bitcoin now has gained um interest in the na- nation level right uh and it is just like I think back to your point again, like Indonesian people uh, currently have the option, like whether mm. they uh, want to use Bitcoin or uh, they, uh, what is it called? They, yeah, just, you know, follow whatever the government said. So mm. uh, the, the choice is there and mm. the choice people can start choosing now. And this is why I meant by the, by the crossroad, like whether <clears throat> they, uh, what kind of a, what kind of future as Indonesian, like what kind of future that we want uh, Indonesia to be? Like, mm-hmm. do you want to follow the same kind of a pattern uh, mm-hmm. as the what Ray Dalio uh, mentioned, or we mm-hmm. go to a completely the unknown? But mm-hmm. it is uh, there is like some kind of an assurance that it won't repeat the same mistake that the 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 predecessor the money predecessors have been made which is the the fiat money right is there a is there any indication of what the indonesian central bank intends to do about digital currencies do they have they announced that they plan to launch their own cbdc or where does that stand they they are still doing like some kind of a research uh they they say that they want to launch it for quite a long time right now yeah. uh they've been talking about how uh yeah like they're going to use the cbdc as a form of settlement or also f- uh, as part of like retail so it's it can be mixed between like the china form of cbdc or the uh, you know like maybe the cbdc that is being proposed by the eu let's say so <clears throat> it is there uh and the central banks really um uh, want to release this just because as we know uh, from the reality that uh, people don't have bank account and mm-hmm. and the, the central bank wants to uh, yeah be able to spread more rupiah I guess to Indonesian and digitalize everything uh, so this is also the question of the the power play between the US and then China you know mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I guess I guess it's very interesting where we're going to see, you know, because uh, <clears throat> a lot of people said that that uh, China will ri- rise as a as a the next power, but it's also debatable uh, because we see what happening right now with uh, 
um, you know, their 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 own domestic problems. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very much a crossroad, um, and it, yeah, just an interesting time to be alive. But certainly seems like we have the tools available to break this cycle once and for all, as long as we mm-hmm. choose correctly. So that's where I think education is just so critically important. Uh, Daya, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think you've, I've learned a lot actually. Um, <laughs> and that is, I, I really enjoy that, that process. So thank you. Could you, we'll do this again. I know there's more to get into, so we'll put a button on it here, but could you please let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work? Okay. Thank you so much as well. I enjoy, actually, I really enjoyed doing this research when you, when you hit me up. I was like, okay, I need to do research. And I, I, I actually quite enjoying it, like reading all of this, this thing. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so yeah, thank you for, for inviting me. Uh, for everyone uh, that wants to find me, like they can follow me on Twitter, Dearskita. Um, if you want to <clears throat> also uh, listen to my podcast, you can go to uh, my, my Bitcoin Story podcast on Spotify. Um, and then if you happen to know any Indonesian or you are Indonesian who would like to learn more about Bitcoin, yeah, you can visit the classbitcoin.com and also follow Indonesia Bitcoin community on Telegram. Wonderful. And we'll link to all that in the show notes. Dea, thank you again. This was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. 